most of the guys I've spoken to that have scaled to a decent level, a few hundred thousand a year, at least, or even a million a year or more, is mindset-related issues is, is actually really, really important. And I, I don't think, I just don't think it's a coincidence that all those people really hype up how important mindset is and they're successful. Now, I'm not saying if you focus on mindset, you will be successful by any means, but I am saying that pretty much every person I've spoken to that does well, their mindset and how they're thinking and if like that is important and they deliberately put a lot of effort into improving themselves with that regard. You're listening to Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast, your resource for one-of-a-kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. Dale Roser, our guest today, has gone on record to say that while he considers himself introverted, he still puts himself out there in a big way by interviewing key experts in the SEO space, a subject we've touched on but are able to broach more in depth thanks to his appearance on our program. Starting from humble beginnings, driven to step into the future unfolding before us, his knowledge is battle-tested, and his content on LionZeal is guaranteed to open your eyes to a whole new piece of the e-com puzzle. So go nuts. Joe Rosser, welcome to Ecomonics. It is good to have you here. Thank you for joining us. I know it's pretty late over there in Vietnam, but it's great to have you here. How are you doing? Thanks for having me, man. It's, it's awesome to, to be here. It's awesome to have you here. And for our audience, uh, I'm excited to share uh, Daryl's knowledge with you today because he is an SEO expert, but I think it's better for him to uh, describe it. So let's get into our first and most important question. Who are you and what do you do? Sure. So as mentioned, my name is Daryl Rosser and I'm an SEO guy, which means that I think most people know what SEO is, which is search engine optimization, which is getting more organic search traffic from Google. But basically, that's what I do, which is very open-ended, but I literally do a bit of everything with SEO. I started SEO now in 2013 because some client asked me to do it for them, and I needed money, and they offered money. I didn't know how to do it, so I was like, screw it. Let's just take this money. Let's figure this thing out. And then in that time, I've done my own website as an affiliate. I've done clients ranging from local businesses to SaaS companies to national brands to e-commerce today, which we're doing more of. I've launched my own sites. I've just started my first e-com store. So I'm pretty new to running my own e-com store, not just doing SEO for clients. And I've just done a little bit of everything when it comes to SEO consulting. I've, I've taught over a thousand agencies and SEOs how to do it themselves. So SEO is like the easiest way of saying that. I do a bit of everything. Uh, that's fantastic. So is your e-com store alive right now? It is, but it's not really. Uh, so it's live. If you look at the site, it looks like it's live, but then we have traffic and we have people trying to order, but I don't want to enable payments because I'm too lazy to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And the reason that sounds weird, but it's, I'll enable payments when we get enough traffic to justify the hassle we have to deal with. Okay. That's I will say that hasn't uh, crossed my mind, um, but I'll let you know if uh, if that initial hassle actually ends up, because I can see that. I can see it being more energy involved to have to deal with each individual order rather than uh, have, a, have a process in place once you have a large amount of them. 
So that checks out. And like, I just started my e-com store as well. Like I don't have the pictures. I don't, all my descriptions are still uh, lorem ipsum. So there's still, there's still <laughs> a long journey ahead. So yeah, so search engine optimization. There's one thing that actually stuck out in your introduction to yourself is that it's uh, increasing search traffic from Google. And I think we all default to Google because Google is an institution, but it's not just exclusively Google, is it? I mean, does it also have impact on Bing or other search engines? Yeah, of course. I mean, even YouTube would technically classify under doing SEO if you're trying to get more traffic from YouTube and, and ranking videos within YouTube. But the market share in the US is drastically in Google's favor. And then in the UK and stuff, I think it's less so, but still mostly where you're going to focus. So for like what we do, we focus exclusively on getting more traffic from Google. And then mm -hmm. as a result of that, Hopefully that works within other search engines, but it's not a priority because it's just a minority market share. Here's, my knowledge of SEO falls off pretty quick. I see it implemented in an obvious place, like in a blog post where there's a section to insert tags. And even as I'm saying that out loud, I'm questioning it if even that counts. But <laughs> So let's look at it from the perspective of store owners, um, the ranks of which both of us have recently joined. So yay, commonality. So where is SEO relevant on a... If you can go so specific as to help our audience out because they're on Shopify for the most part, where's SEO relevant on a Shopify store? Well, okay, so let's talk about how SEO is going to make you money first, and then we can kind of go more into how you'd want to do it. That does sound like a fantastic way to start this. <laughs> yeah. So SEO is going to make you money because someone's going to search for something, and then they're going to land on your category or as Shopify calls it collection page or your product page with intent to purchase. So for example, mm -hmm. if someone searches for, you got to think of an example now. Okay, I've got a keyboard in front of me. Someone, someone searches for, what is this? A Keychron K6, I think I have, is the keyboard I have. So if someone searches for Keychron K6, there's a good chance they may be looking to buy that, especially if you search for buy Keychron K6. That'll be a product page. Whereas where you usually get most traffic is on your category page, where if someone searches for mechanical keyboards, there's a good chance they may be looking to buy one, especially again, if they search for buy mechanical keyboards. So you, you make money by, with your category pages is, is usually the main thing. You identify all the different keywords, as, as people say, that the phrases people are searching that relates to the, the product categories that you sell. And so again, if you're selling mechanical keyboards, you'd have one for mechanical keyboards. Now, this can expand significantly further. And just to give a real quick example off the top of my head, if you're selling leather sofas, then you could rank on a category page for leather sofas, but you could also create an additional one for white leather sofas mm -hmm. and brown leather sofas because people are searching for those things also. It may or may not be a separate page. It's hard to say without researching it, but essentially you're getting in front of people searching to buy your specific products or services. That's how you make money from it. How you actually achieve that is, is a whole different story. Do you want me to start going into that or... How do you want to play this? <laughs> of course. Yeah, absolutely. I can't imagine. Yeah, yeah, that's, definitely, definitely. Okay, so, well, firstly, there's a lot to it, but the easiest starting point mm -hmm. is, okay, first you need to identify what keywords people are searching. Again, that's the phrases. So if someone's searching for buy leather sofa, then obviously that's the keyword. Now, in the case of the one I just showed you, I explained, you're not going to be able to compete with that. Like, very easily, I can just tell you about even looking if you're listening to, to this show, you're not like a, a massive national brand, which maybe, maybe some people are, but I'm assuming most people aren't, then you're not going to be able to compete for mm -hmm. a keyword like that. So your goal is going to be what you call a long tail, which is 
you know, like four words or more, which is like potentially brown leather sofa, but it could be like by leather sofa, I don't know, corner leather sofa, something, like that. something a little bit less um, competitive, a little bit longer tail, as you'd say. Now, the way to research keywords is really simple. The easiest way of doing it is to find a store that's doing well in your, in your niche. So find a competitor that sells leather sofas and then put that competitor into a tool like Ahrefs or SEMrush. These are paid tools, but like SEO isn't really free. We can talk about that afterwards, but put it into one of these tools and it's going to give you a list of every single keyword they rank for. And then from there, that gives you, okay, I'm simplifying this, but that gives you a whole list of all the different keywords that you want to target. And then you can decide which collection you want to target that with, which product you want to target that with, and so on. Now, for how to optimize it, that's a 10-hour interview in and of itself. But the, the important elements are the keyword is in the URL, so it'll be slash collection slash leather sofas. The keyword is in the title tag of the page, which is built into Shopify. And it's in the H1, which is basically the name of the collection. Beyond that, you want to have a description on the page that is hidden, what we call topical relevance. So it has enough content around that topic of leather surfers. An easy way of doing that is to use a tool like Surfer. And Surfer will analyze the top ranking competitors and basically tell you using data what is working for this specific keyword because every single keyword is different. So... I'll, I'll turn it back to you and let me let you ask me questions because I'm going quite a lot of detail there and I hope that makes sense. Well, I've been a media guy for the last 10 years. I've made a career out of listening to people. So <laughs> as you're describing this to me, I, I'm jotting down notes largely for my own reference uh, later down the line. But also there's some stuff here that I wanted to clarify. So one of them is when you're saying that we don't have the means to compete with larger industry, uh, larger companies because they have the control over the most, I guess, the most core, the most fundamental keywords. So here's what I'm picturing is happening. And this comes from my own experience of like the $26 that I had spent on Google AdWords when I was like 22 years old. I'm 31 now. So if some, if say I, and by the way, for if if somebody had asked me to pick an example in front of me, I would have said towel. Don't ask why, but there's a towel in front of me. So let's say that I'm competing with one of the big companies and they say, blue towel. And then I write in blue towel. And I don't stand much of a chance of getting any traffic. But here's what I thought was happening is that they're paying for a thousand impressions, whereas I only have enough resources for maybe one impression. So they're going to get their thousand sales, but then I'm going to get my one sale. So what part of that am I, am I, am I missing out here? Because I guess part of it is also that we're not necessarily talking about money being spent yet. We're just trying to put words uh, correctly on our website. So how is it that there is zero, like there's so little traffic to our website versus such major traffic to these other guys? Well, because we're talking about organic only, so there's only 10 results. It doesn't, well, it does fluctuate, but on a day-to-day basis, it's just the same 10 results. You're not going to, it's organic. So that's the first thing. And secondly, right. the reason, like the biggest factor for organic rankings, the things I mentioned matter a lot. They're very, very important. But the biggest factor is authority. If we, if we simplify the algorithm, it's going to be authority, trust, and um, authority, trust. What's the other one I always say? And um, expertise, I guess. So authority, for the most part, comes down to 
backlinks, which is other websites linking to yours. And these tools like Ahrefs simplify this by giving a, a score to this out of 100. So they call this domain rating. And generally speaking, if you want a very, very quick indicator, if you can compete for a keyword, you want to compare what, what is your current domain rating and look at the top 10 ranking sites. And if you look at, say, Leverslofers, I, I can just guess off the top of my head that most of them are going to be 60, 70, 80 domain rating. Whereas if you're starting a brand new site, it's, it's zero. And even if you've established it for a couple of years, it's going to be probably less than 30 unless you've done some deliberate effort to build it up. So you're just, you don't have the authority needed to be able to compete for that keyword on any level. Now, the good news is SEO has, generally speaking, means targeting a lot of keywords. So for that Lever Sofa keyword, that has a lot of searches. So that's where their prioritization is going. So they'll have an in-house team probably that are going after those keywords. But when you get to those ones I mentioned earlier, which is a long tail keyword, which are less competitive, have less searches, it's just not on their radar. It's just not a priority for them to target because the 80-20 the of doing SEO makes more sense to focus on those bigger mm -hmm. ones. So by targeting those, those lower competition ones, there's kind of a gap usually, and you can usually enter that market for getting again into that top 10. And you usually find that out, again, just by checking the, the domain rating I mentioned previously. If you're looking at this keyword and, hey, there's a site there that's a, that's a domain rating of 40, that's reasonably within our level. Mm -hmm. So you will have to forgive me if one of my questions ends up drawing from something that you had already described. I full full transparency. This is a lot of learning for my for myself as well, and I'm and I'm happy to be have the opportunity to absorb this information. So with that out of the way, um, can you break down exactly what the domain rating is comprised of? If it's um, if it's traffic, is it sales? Is it um, activity? Well, how do how exactly do websites have good ratings versus low ratings? Well, that score specifically is called domain rating. So that's just HREF's measure. So every, every tool has a different way of calculating it. From my understanding, uh, HREFs calculate the domain rating score essentially just based on the backlinks they have. Because so that's the biggest measure of authority in Google's eyes anyway from what everyone seems to understand and, and what seems to work. So it's just counting like the number of links they have and measuring the quality of the links based on the, the domain rating as well, which is really difficult to kind of understand how they started it in the first place, but that, that's basically how it works. So if you have a, a bunch of links from very high like DR60 websites, then that is not only the quantity, but also the quality that goes into that. So that's what's going to influence it. But it, it's just that. It's the number of links to the website, basically, and the, the quality of those links. That's it. Mm -hmm. And so then it can also rate the activity of the website. So if it sees that it's linking to an, an, another furniture website and there's a lot of activity there, that should, if I understand this correctly, that should improve the quality score versus if it links to a website that's not having a lot of traffic. Well, it's links pointing to the website, not where they link out to. That that isn't uh, that that can help with oh, your okay, SEO as well. That sort of thing matters. But for the thing I'm specifically talking about, domain rating is, is about the websites that link to yours. But yeah, if you have a lot of really low quality websites, then that can influence it. And you have a lot of really high quality websites that also influence it. Okay, terrific. This was actually something that popped into my head. I wasn't, I didn't have one of this one chambered, but I remember doing a little bit of reading and getting a little bit of mentoring on negative keywords as well, where what somebody can do is they can enter in the words that they don't want people to, they don't want their results to th then be the 
they don't want their searches to be the results of. So one example is if somebody is looking for white shoes or they're looking specifically for white tennis shoes. And if I'm selling white shoes, but if I'm selling white, if I'm not selling white tennis shoes, I don't want people to find those results because they're not going to get what they're looking for anyways. If they're specific, they have one specific need and I can't meet that, then I want to fill, cancel that out. Um, can you comment a little bit more on this for us and how important negative keywords are to the overall picture? On the ad side, again, that's, that's if you're paying for, for search ads, it's, it's super, super important. Of course, if you, if you don't do this, you're going to waste a lot of money. On the SEO side, it's completely irrelevant because it doesn't, you're not paying per click. So if you're targeting the wrong thing, I mean, you wouldn't deliberately put effort into targeting that wrong keyword. And a lot of SEO in 2020, especially going into 2021, very soon, probably by the time this is out, is heavily based on what we call search intent today. Meaning that if I go online and I search for the keyword buy tripod or buy travel tripod or something like that, and then I should really be getting an e-commerce page to come up if it's not a page about buying it, then I'm not going to be able to, it doesn't match the intent, right? Whereas if I go online to search for like, what is the best travel tripod, then an e-commerce store can't rank for that keyword because it's not the right intent. The intent there is okay, like a blog post, like reviewing what is the best travel tripod. So intent, it becomes very, very important with SEO because you need to match that intent if you have any, if you want to be able to rank. A lot of people try and rank for the wrong keyword with e-commerce because they don't check the intent they just think okay this one has a lot of searches and the competition is lower but the reason the competition is lower because it's like blog post information on intent not buyer intent okay all right so this this is another um uh, this question somewhat improvised based on what i'm hearing so let's say for instance i wanted to uh set up an operation and what i wanted to do is get a sense of what the intents are so do you have a set of tools that you can use to see what are the current like what are the major trends in search intents? So then that way I can form a store based off what people are looking for. Search intent is is really easy to establish. You would just simply search a keyword that you're interested in targeting and just check who what what ranks. So um, for example, if you have like a, an iPhone, so every single example, I'm just looking in front of me what I have. I have a tripod here, I have a phone here, I have a keyword here. So I have an iPhone um, X, it's old. So, so someone searches like iPhone X, iPhone 10 repair. Now, are they searching to find a guide on how to repair that, or are they searching for a company to repair that for them? Well, it depends. The easiest way of establishing this, you can't really guess. The best way of doing it is just to search the term and just check what exactly Google likes already for this keyword. And again, every keyword is different. So if it comes up in every single site ranking or the majority of them are guides, then you want to create a guide for this. If the majority of them are people selling the repair, then you want to sell the repair again, presuming that's what your business does. So that's how you establish the intent. And what you're kind of mentioning is how to find keywords. And again, the best way of doing that is just to check the competitors usually. You can obviously do things like using Google Trends and try and find opportunities. It, it's okay and it works, but but really the easiest way of doing it is just to look at what compet what your competition are doing it is way easier and it simplifies the whole process for everyone to listen to i'm going to uh, shift into 
uh, believe it or not, that was uh, this was all the result of the first two questions. I still have another eighteen yeah, to go. My, my my philosophy is to always uh, run out of time, never run out of questions. So one of your blog posts is about key mistakes you made in over twelve hundred stories that you had analyzed. And I know we 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 probably touched on a couple of these, but this would be a good chance to uh, reiterate. So the top mistakes are not using modifiers and title tags, uh, meta description not optimized for CTR. Okay, thank you for telling me because I can't remember what the biggest mistakes were anymore. <laughs> That's that's why I, I wrote these down because I because I'm the one that's like I just read it you know in the matter of 42 hours whereas uh, you're off doing um, all sorts of things being uh, highly successful and with a lot of inertia so yeah I, I I've I've encountered situations before where people are like well I don't think I wrote that article is <laughs> you on my website yeah yeah it's it's, it's come up. So top four mistakes are, yeah, uh, not using modifiers and title tags, meta description, not optimized for CTR, uh, loading time slower than three seconds. Uh, and then there's not using product schema. So I'd like to hear any insights on these. If there's any ones that are, ref- if, if there's any refresher, yeah, yeah. is anything coming back okay. into your mind? And then if you have any other mistakes that stick out too, especially for the people in our e-commerce space. So feel free to share those as well. Let me go through these ones I just highlighted and let me... Because most people listening are Shopify users, right? So Primarily, let me go yeah. through a few common Shopify issues that we notice often. Pretty much every single store has the same issues unless they've deliberately fixed it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the first one was modifiers, right? Not using modifiers in a title tag. So a keyword modifier is something that expands the keyword that you're targeting. So I used one earlier in an example I gave you. A keyword may be leather sofas. However, what you probably find is if, say, leather sofas has, just making this up, 7,000 searches a month, you often find is buy leather sofa, just having the word buy in front of it, has maybe 500 to 1,000 searches also. And by simply adding buy in front of it, you target an additional keyword that is higher buyer intent than just the level surface keywords. So it's usually less competitive because it's an additional word and it's easier to target. Now, another great example, because I'm in the UK or I'm from the UK, sorry. So I'm constantly doing SEO in the UK. So I would add the word UK at the end. So it'd be buy level surface UK. Again, people often search for UK specifically. I don't know if they search it for US. I have no idea. I didn't really check. But in the UK, people usually add in UK at the end. So by adding UK, again, I'm getting an extra few hundred searches a month for that specific keyword. Now, even if you already rank number one for leather sofas, by simply adding them, you can kind of help rank for those additional keywords, which get hundreds or thousands potentially of extra searches every single month. So that's what keyword modifiers are. You can do this on your collection pages. I recommend doing it on pretty much all of them. Even if you don't even research it, just add the word buy in front of every single one of them, just as a precaution, because in many cases that work. And if you're in the UK or something, try adding UK as well. Again, it also works. You can do this on, on collection pages and product pages if your product pages rank for anything. The second thing I mentioned was CTR, I think, on the meta description. So the meta description is what shows in the Google search results below the title tag. And it's really, really important for CTR, which is click-through rate. And essentially, here's what you need to do. If someone searches something in Granite results, they're going to see your title first and they're going to see your meta description afterwards and possibly your URL. So it's really important that we treat this space as an advertisement to get people to click through to our website. So the meta description is give or take around 150 or so characters, 160 characters. So you want to really emphasize getting people to click. So what can you do? Well, firstly, you 
list like what exactly your, your product or category or whatever of product offers, like why does she, what, like showing them that you can help them with their problem. Again, matching that intent. Beyond that, just highlight things like capitalized words and mention, hey, free shipping or buy now, pay later and, and things like that. Highlight like why they should go in your store versus everyone else's. Just trying to treat this as an ad. If you want inspiration for this, look at the ads for the same keyword and see what they're paying to advertise because CTR matches to them a lot more. So just look at the ads and just kind of copy that for your organic results. And the next thing I think was was um, schema. Is, is that right? Oh, page speed. Speed. Oh, yeah, yeah, page speed. Yeah. So page speed is important. I mean, I, I don't really think I need to explain that. This is quite obvious. It's important for conversion for users and also for SEO because there's this thing called crawl budget and essentially search engines assign a certain amount of resources to every web- website based on the authority, put it in simple terms, of your website. So just make sure you, you work on the page speed, um, compressed images, basic things like that, caching, all that sort of stuff. And then beyond that, um, the next one was product schema. And again, I don't really think I need to clarify that because Shopify do this by default, so you're good to go anyway. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to admit that product schema is not a term that I'm per- personally familiar with. So if you, if you don't mind clearing that one up for me, even if Shopify is going to solve it, I actually don't know it. Yeah, it, it just basically it wraps tags around certain things like the product name, the price of it, the reviews, and, and things like this. So search engines can understand it. So rather than just having the whole bunch of text on the page, and they can kind of understand this anyway, it, it just makes it very clear, okay, here's how many are in stock. Here's the price of the product, everything like that. It just it tells search engines what exactly it is. And sometimes you'll see, if you ever search for like a product, you actually see that it says like in stock or out of stock or something in the search results. That's pulled up from product, product schema stuff. Okay. Yeah, that clears it up. And it also explains why Shopify is already uh, on top of this, because those are all necessary variables that we have to enter in when we uh, put in our products. There was yeah, a, there exactly. was an observation yeah. that I actually thought you might find interesting, because you were saying that people are more likely to type shop furniture UK or shop leather sofa UK versus uh, leather sofa US. And it reminded me of some research that I had done on a solo episode. This, this is a few months back. So for all, I think the data was collected before COVID. So obviously lots of things can change between now and then. But what I observed was in the UK, large appliances was one of their top five orders versus it wasn't that in the US. And I think a lot of that actually has to do with automobile culture. I think automobile culture is a lot more celebrated in the US and also because they're a bigger country physically. So they have a lot more rural areas. and There's a lot more people willing to drive out, pick something up, take it home. Whereas I think in the UK, there's a lot more condensation. I mean, just if you just look at the landmass. So that to me checks out why they'd be more likely to order that in the UK versus the demographics in the US. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, people are searching for this stuff significantly more in the US, but obviously the US is significantly bigger mm-hmm. and significantly higher population. Um, but I, I was just mentioning that people search specifically for, they put the word UK at the end of it if they're searching in the UK. I, I don't know. I don't know if people do that in the US. Like if you're searching to buy a, a whatever, anything, uh, buy a TV, would you put, by Samsung TV US in that, in that key phrase. Like in the, in the UK, people do that. I don't know if people do that in the US. I have no idea. Yeah, I, 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 that's, that's a good point. And, and I'll just uh, say one thing in response to it, which is that .com is the most 
uh, ubiquitous domain. And I think .com is more natural towards the U.S. market because yeah. everyone tries yeah. to get their market into the U.S. versus uh, the U.S. trying to expand their market outwards. So that, that, that clears that up, at least from, from my side. Did you want me to get into the Shopify specific ones? Because I'd love to hear it. Yeah, if yeah. Okay. Um, so what are the big ones with, with Shopify? Obviously, again, I already mentioned the basics, like optimizing your, your collections, make sure you have a title on a title tag on there, make sure you have a meta description, make sure you have some content on there. I kind of already addressed that. That is very important and very obvious, but it's still often overlooked that people don't do that. So, so that's the same universally, whether you use Shopify or anything else. The issues that Shopify have by default, um, firstly, is, is lack of functionality. So you can't modify your robots.txt file, which means you can't block Google search or any search engine from crawling certain pages yourself. Uh, Shopify has some defaults that are pretty good, but you can't modify this, which is really annoying if you work with a technical SEO. And then also you can't access crawl resources, um, crawl logs, sorry, to, to check how they crawl on your site. It's kind of annoying for technical SEOs for most people listening. It probably doesn't matter, but it, it's something to consider if you want to work with a more technical SEO later. However, what actually matters that's really easy fixes. Um, okay, there's a few off the top of my head. So by default, you have this, this page, it'd be slash collections, like just slash collections. If, mm -hmm. if you ever look at your collection URLs, the slash collection, slash collection name. But by default, you have slash collections that exists. And the title of this page is collections. It's just a list of all the collections you have. There's no real reason to have this page. It's not going to rank for anything. And it has no benefits to searching it. So... A lot of pages like this should just be what we call no index, which just add a little tag to it that says, hey, don't index this page. So it can exist, but tell search engines don't index this page. And the same thing for slash collections slash all. And then you also have pagination on top of that, which is like collections slash slash collections slash all question mark page equals one, two, three. And in many cases, I'll see like 200 of these because I have so many products all indexing Google and just again, wasting the, those resources because it's just thin content. It doesn't need to be there. On top of that, you have tags. So you can have tags on both the, the product level and then also the blog level. So if you add tags to your, your collections, to your products, you'll see oftentimes it'd be like slash collections, slash collection name, slash tag name. Mm -hmm. And usually people don't intend to rank in these. They'll just be like, have a tag for say red or have a tag for say 100 milliliters, something like that. And they have no intention of, of ranking for these. There's no keyword optimization or focus done. It's just for users. And the problem with this is, is that these are, again, indexed in, in Google. And if you look at the title of those pages, it will be like the collection name tagged red or products tagged red or something like that. And that's not going to rank for anything. Even if it somehow did, no one's going to click that when it, the title is literally something tagged red, like products tagged red. So either no index those pages or actually add some content to them and then optimize them to rank for something. So that's tags on the products. And then you also have tags on the blog as well, which is the same thing. It, it looks exactly the same. We would just say like blog post or something tagged, whatever fun mm -hmm. or whatever the tag is that they add. And it, it doesn't make sense. You don't want to rank those. So again, no index all your tags by default. And I can't really explain how to do this. Here, but basically there's plugins, there's add-ons that allow you to do that for Shopify. But what we usually do is we just add a bit of code to the theme files, but it's not beginner friendly to, to explain how to do that. Um, I guess for uh, 
this one might be a, a little bit too we we might not be able to condense this question, but I'm going to ask it anyways just in case. But for people who are interested in the more technical side of SEO, what would be the starting place for them? Uh, be obviously, I guess check out your content, but for in terms of how they can actually start to implement this, um, where where can they start with there? Hire someone, <laughs> really. Yeah. I mean, I'm biased because it's, it's, I have an agency and we literally do this. But really, just hire someone. The things I just mentioned there, you could Google that. You could just literally Google the things I mentioned, like no index tag Shopify. And you can find a snippet of code or an add-on. Again, add-ons help you do this. And that will help you with some of this stuff. But really the best starting point for these technical things, which is a massive part of SEO for for, shop, for, for, e-commerce, for any site really mm-hmm. that's big, that has like a thousand pages or something like that, which e-commerce stores tend to have, is technical SEO. And the best starting point for that is you want to do a crawl of your whole website. That means you want to, get a list of every single page on your website and you want to check against all the technical issues that could happen. So you could check, let me not mention that because it's too technical, like canonical tags and stuff, but you can mention, you can check all these different technical factors and basically see what issues you have and what pages and across the whole site as a whole. And then you want to go and fix them. all. So if we're doing this for, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand page site. This is about three or four months of work when we sign a new client, which is a lot. And I just wouldn't usually recommend someone doing this themselves. Yeah, I mean, there's there's been a through line um, with other people that I've talked to where before people either automate something or hire out, it's it's helpful for them to try it themselves first because at least at least at the very least they have a sense of what the actual labor is involved into it before they uh, bring it over to an expert so one variant of that through line is for them to for us to try it realize how abysmally difficult it is and then mm-hmm. just get an expert um, but there's another through line too with a lot of the people that I talk to who have their own agencies this is a great thing and I really want to hear you expand on this where by consolidating resources and having multiple clients, you acquire knowledge that's much more effective for a business to then have implemented versus a business hiring somebody to work in-house because they're collecting data, but they're only collecting data for their own website. They're not getting anything in aggregate. And if they are, well, that's going to add to the clock. So uh, can you expand on this for us and the advantages of having the agency do it? I know one of them is the ability to do it, which is a good start, but mm-hmm. what else is there? I think that's actually a, a really, really good point. I love that point a lot, actually. Yeah, use but, it. Feel free. I, I agree with that. <laughs> it's true. By working with multiple different clients, or even, not even just clients, just multiple different websites, you, you're, you're completely correct. You, you get a, a depth of information that you don't get from working on a single website. In fact, you can't become good at SEO. That's just a fact. You can't become good at SEO from only doing SEO for a single website because you don't know how it works. You, you don't have test results. Like a lot of SEO is trying things out and seeing what works. If you only have a single site, that's, that's not enough data to, to make to, to make a decision. It doesn't give you enough data to know really what works. So that's 100% correct. I, I like that point a lot. Um, why else work for the agency? Honestly, it, it's just a smarter business decision. So again, like... I'm saying this and I'm biased because I run an agency, but I'm not biased because probably most people listening probably don't want to work with me because we don't work with anyone that's not going to spend at least $3,000 a month on SEO. So most people probably aren't going to be a good fit anyway. Um, And 
really it's just it's just a better business decision if again if someone pays us three thousand dollars a month and we can increase their their bottom line by 20 30 percent on probably the very very low end that's a no-brainer decision and it's better use of their time so it just makes sense and then also again it's just skill and they're probably not going to have the ability to figure out themselves and again we're talking on the low end we charge three thousand dollars a month well good luck hiring someone for three thousand dollars a month that can remotely do what we do yeah. The, the re- see, the reason why that point came to me is because I have the fortune to talk to people week after week who are in similar positions, uh, not doing SEO, but uh, accounting or consulting, working specifically with, say, a certain distributor like Amazon. And so over time, I noticed these themes. And I actually wanted to ask you if you had noticed any themes in your own interview series, because you've talked to a lot of high profile guests as well. I don't know what the proportion is of people in the SEO space versus, well, other people, but my 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 guess is there is a a, a proclivity towards SEO. But uh, what are some of the major takeaways that have stuck with you throughout the people that you've talked to? That's a good question, Thanks. and I'm <laughs> delaying this because I need to think about it a little bit. By all means. Um, one thing that people don't want to hear that always stands out to me is how focused most of the guys I've spoken to that have scaled to a decent level, a few hundred thousand a year, at least or even a million a year or more is mindset related issues is, is actually really, really important. And most people have done some work, whether like, it doesn't have to be buying a course or something like that. It could just be actually being conscious of their own mindset. But I, I don't think I just don't think it's a coincidence that all those people really hype up how important mindset is and they're successful. Now, I'm not saying if you focus on mindset, you will be successful by any means, but I am saying that pretty much every person I've spoken to that does well does think that their mindset and how they're thinking and everything like that is important and they deliberately put a lot of effort into improving themselves with that regard. Some of the guests that we've had on the show, depending on how much they've talked about mindset in their own content, sometimes we end up having an entire episode just dedicated to mindset. Uh, I I love it. Yeah, if, <laughs> it's crit- it's one of those points where it's it's critical to success, but it, you know, in, in the event that somebody just so happens to you know stumble upon this podcast and they're not really uh, into the space, it's it's good enough. It's important enough of a subject that even they can get something out of it. Because uh, one way to look at it is that mindset might not be your catalyst to success, but it might be what keeps you from then having your success crumble uh, all over you and all the walls caving in. Because if people don't have what they need in order to handle the new responsibility and the new pressure, that's where things are really going to start going wrong. Well, it's even beyond that. I mean, mindset is so open-ended, so it doesn't really mean anything by saying that. But for example, one of the, the big problems people have is procrastinating and, and not doing the actual work needs to be done. Now we could talk about this and it's just like armchair psychology about why that is the case, whether it's like fears or whatever else. I, I don't know. It's not my place to say, but I'm guilty of this. And I know other people are where we'll think about something and we'll talk about something and we'll do anything we can, but the actual thing we need mm-hmm. to do. And that is a massive limiter of success, right? It's just obvious if we don't do something, obviously we can't get any results. And I'll see people in, in my space where they're talking about starting an SEO agency 
And they've been talking about it for six months, 12 months, a year. And they're thinking about what is the perfect name? What is the best logo? What should my website look like? Who's the best types of clients to go after and everything like that? And they're just putting it off rather than actually doing the work. Whereas on YouTube, like three months ago, I started a case study where I said, hey, I'm going to build a brand new agency from scratch and show people how to do it. Um, doing e-commerce SEO, specifically for Shopify, actually. And I took that from zero to six figures in about a month and a half from cold outreach, not leveraging my own audience, just emailing random stores and just telling them I can do SEO for them. And I did that without a name, without a logo, without a website, without any like those things people think they need, just based on knowing what I actually do. And obviously having skills, I'm not downplaying that whatsoever. I've been doing it for years. But the point is half of those things that people spend time thinking about just it's completely unnecessary, but we just tend to hold ourselves back with this again for whatever reason. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I guess it's good to just put that disclaimer in that neither of us are are licensed psychologists. Uh, so that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's important. But it's it's fun to, to theorize. And you also made an important point too that just saying mindset is, is is a general term in the same way saying health is like yeah okay, yeah yeah yeah. yeah. So so I get that. <laughs> uh, I what I'll tell you from my own uh, experience as a i've i've helped try to get a lot of people and we're talking about really low-key like locals people who are trying to start a podcast they get 10 listeners they you know they're happy you know corner to corner brick by brick uh stuff has been a, a lot of my my past and i'm happy about it too because i like doing the, the the small scale things one of my friends he he wants to do a it youtube show he wants to be like a go-to it expert and you just won't do it. I think the problem is talking about it feels good. Here's my idea. Oh yeah, that sounds like a great yeah, idea. Yeah. And then that satisfaction is actually enough because you get all the satisfaction without any of the pressure. And I think what happens is people don't realize those deeper satis- feelings of satisfaction that are yielded from deeper sacrifice and uh, harder work. If people aren't conditioned to feel that or they don't have an opportunity to, to do that, then they don't know what they're, what they're missing out on. That word you mentioned, by the way, conditioned, mm-hmm. I think it is very, very important that this is is, is a learned behavior. I, I, I don't think, but maybe some people are, are just normally like this, but in my own experience, it's learned behavior. I, I procrastinate just as much as anyone else. I train myself that I need to move fast and I need to move as fast as I possibly can. And I come up with an idea and I'll, I'll be working on it the same day. If I can, it, it depends on what it is, but it's trained behavior. And I think you can train people not by watching a video or listening to a podcast, unfortunately. I don't think that's very effective, but by being with someone or being around someone and watching them and they're asking a the question, what should I do? And just like, hey, like, stop thinking about it. Just, just, just get this thing done. And training them basically and conditioning them on how to actually think and act. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like to think that the best thing that podcasts can do is to act as a catalyst for people to at least understand that something exists exactly. and agree. then make yeah. a way forward from there. If it's all right with you, I wanted to uh, get a little bit of your, your, your backstory in because your, your history is uh, somewhat interesting to me. At a young age, there was a pretty clear disparity from... Um, what you were interested in versus your upbringing, because you are from a, a small town of Corby, uh, which is firmly rooted in the Industrial Revolution. Because I remember in your video, you were saying these people's their aspirations were to become the manager at the factory, and it even looks historical. Like it looks like you're living in history. <laughs> I, I, I I imagine that there's some people there who actually still think World War II is happening. So to say that 
you know, there's a disparity between the future and the past is something very drastic for you to be living in. So uh, what I'd like to hear about specifically is like how the digital realm exposed itself to you in, in this condition, under these conditions. School, actually. Uh, my family were never the wealthiest by any means or not particularly, we're pretty working class and pretty poor when I was growing up. And my dad built his own businesses up from, I don't know, when I was pretty young, he started his own businesses and gradually became more and more successful and, and by no means very, very successful, but kind of middle-class level by the time I was like, um, a teenager or the older years of my teenage years anyway. And when I went to school, I was introduced to computers for the first time. I never had a computer myself. This is, I mean, I'm not that old. I was, I was 11 years old or something like that. And it was the first time that I started using computers. So, you know, I was like typing as like one finger at a time, trying to, trying to do this thing. It was really, really bad. And I just thought they were absolutely fascinating. That's it. And I, I got into uh, RuneScape at the time, I think it was. Like a lot of people similar ages to me can relate to that. And I was playing. Yeah, I'm a, I used to play RuneScape too. Good, good solid year in my life. I love that game. Like, you know, even it was, it was multiple years. It was a bad addiction, <laughs> but it was good because it got me into this stuff. So yeah, I played RuneScape. I loved that game at the time. I spent money on that and everything like that. I got the RuneScape membership or whatever it was. And I like, asking my mom and dad to give me like, I think it was like free credit a month to get RuneScape membership was quite funny. And around there, I got into like forums and communities. It was a big thing back then. And I wanted to build my own websites because I wanted to build like a, a clan website for my RuneScape clan. And I wanted to build a forum for like other people had because they had forums and stuff like that. So I got started building my own like forums and stuff like that. They were never particularly that great. I, I think I sold it at the end for about $1,000 when I was like 15 years old, stuff like that. So it was terrible, but I was never particularly that good at it. But it was just kind of fun to build these sites and stuff like that. But I never had any idea how to make money from it. Where I learned to make money from it was, again, my school, thankfully. Um, I didn't really like school, but it gave me some, some catalyst, as, as you say. So I did an internship at a affiliate marketing company. Coincidental that I just happened to see them. And I, I did an internship at them for a couple of weeks and I did affiliate marketing. It was pretty boring, but I was probably smarter than like half the staff, to be honest. They didn't really seem to know what they're doing. Um, so I kind of stood out as obviously known stuff, even though I, I didn't even know what affiliate marketing was. And then I met the, the owner of the company, the CEO, small company, like five, six staff or whatever. But I met the CEO, the owner. He was at the time, I don't know, 23, 24, 25 years old, something like that. And it's making, I don't know, he, he liked to tell you as a millionaire, more likely uh, six figures a year. Um, he, he was kind of a show off and everything like that. But I was hanging out with him. He invited me to Australia and paid for my trip for a couple of weeks there. And my, my thoughts afterwards, after meeting this guy, was pretty much that this guy isn't as smart as I expect for someone making as much money as he's making. <laughs> I mean, what he's doing just doesn't seem that difficult or that impressive. I, I could absolutely do the same thing. And the difference you have to understand is I was thinking that 
you make money by being Amazon or whatever, being some massive company or that's it. And I didn't really understand that there was guys out there making a few hundred thousand dollars a year just from running these little websites. I just didn't really consider, I didn't really think about it. So just by seeing this, it kind of opened up this idea that, hey, I wanted to do affiliate marketing. I didn't know what affiliate marketing was before that, but I wanted to do affiliate marketing. Fast forward a little bit, I got into something called CPA lead. It was just spammy. And it was basically, you ever seen like, you, you go on Facebook, something like that, you're trying to open something up and it's like, hey, complete this survey to open this content. You ever seen that type of thing before? On Facebook? Or, or, or any website, really. Like you're trying to open. Like I've seen, I've seen those. I've definitely seen those. I just haven't seen them on Facebook. Facebook was big in around 2010 for this. It'd be linked from Facebook. But yeah, so I got into that stuff. I made a Farmville Cheats website. I was, I was 16 years old. I got up to about $100 a day. And then we got into some more dodgy stuff, copyright stuff that I, I don't really want to talk about. <laughs> and then that was making like a thousand, I was doing like thousand dollars from that. And then we got into like, I, I made a, a viral site about uh, getting free uh, Microsoft points. And it was like, refer your friends and then do all this sort of nonsense. We did give codes, but it was misleading as to how much work you had to do. That went viral. It It, it had millions of people on it it did twenty thousand dollars profit in its best day and, and like it was pretty insane and at this time i was still 17 years old and basically we can fast forward a little bit what happened was we made a lot of money that year this was 2010 you know a lot of money from facebook stuff and that we had ten thousand dollar days twenty thousand dollar days and several of those I had a massive argument with my business partner over something really stupid, which is just uh, spending money, basically. And it was really, really stupid. Oh, my business partner was also the same guy that I interned for in the past. We ended up, he ended up when I was making like $100 a day, he approached me and basically said that he wants to like kind of mentor me and work together on a business. So sure, why not? Like he seemed doing well, why not? Um, so we were making a load of money with hundreds of thousands of dollars that year in, in profit money for now. And 16, 17 years old, we had a massive argument and long story short is he stole the money, stole our websites and stole absolutely everything from me. He and the guy that like mentored me and introduced me to affiliate marketing in the first place, which is insanity. And then I came back strong. I made like, 30 grand in the first three months on my own. And uh, for whatever reason, a mixture of it become more difficult to do what we're doing and kind of dying out and a mixture of me getting bored of doing it. I decided to start something else and it didn't work because it doesn't matter. It just didn't work. And then tried to something else. It didn't work and tried something else. and It didn't work. And it went about two years and nothing was really working whatsoever until um, so in, in this time, I was making like no money whatsoever, like a few, a couple thousand, a few hundred, even a, a couple thousand a year from the old like web design gig or whatever I can get locally. I was living with my parents, thankfully, so it kind of covered me anyway. And fast forward a couple of years, and I mentioned before, someone asked me for SEO, and I didn't know what SEO was. But at this point, again, you can imagine I was barely making any money. I was struggling, and and I, I, I knew marketing. I was a technical person to figure this out. I just didn't know how it works. So. My instinct was like, hey, let's just tell this guy I can do it, try it out, and hopefully I can do it. And if not, what's the worst case scenario? Just refund his money. That was like my beginning to SEO. Uh, about 18 months later, I had that up to a $10,000 a month business. 
from other clients and my own sites and stuff like that. And I just scaled that quickly because like that mindset issue just like turned off quickly because I just kind of saw the opportunity was in. I was no longer like holding myself back. Uh, I think I'm way over the question you asked me, but that, that's pretty much how I got into this. <laughs> well, well, like I said, my, uh, my, my, my passion is to listen. <laughs> so it's, uh, it, it's a great story. I, there may be, there may be a few things in there that I would want to, to, to just touch on. I guess the one that I'd like to ask on behalf of our audience, just so our audience understands what happened between you and those guys is, and if this is too sensitive, I'll understand. We can even cut this, but was it like, do you feel that they had this malign intention um, for, for the majority of it? Like they had seen you as a mark or was it that things just broke down and they retaliated and then they just wanted to take what they could from you? No, it's, in either it's case, one I'm sorry it happened. Yeah, sure. I, I'm not sorry. I'm, I'm glad it happened <laughs> in hindsight anyway, because it turned out well and got me on the path I'm on now. But sure. Right. So this guy was pretty young also. I mean, again, at a time, I don't know how old he was, like mid-20s or something. I remember, to be honest, it doesn't matter. And he was a bit immature. And I don't think he had any intention from the start of screwing me over. But he had every intention of controlling me, controlling the business, and controlling everything. And even though the business was set up as, as a 50-50 thing between me and him, when we had the argument, it was kind of, in a way, like loss of control for him because I wasn't accepting everything he said. And then also just the fact that the iron immature or whatever, he, he figured it would be easier just to cut me off because... Again, also me being very, very immature. I mean, I was 17 years old. <laughs> um, we were arguing and stuff like that. So I was being childish and, and not doing any work because I, I wanted to to resolve the argument first or whatever. So there's also me being very, very immature. But as a result of that, he decided just it was easier to cut me off. And he just literally just took everything. And, and that was pretty much how it worked. And I called him out on it afterwards. He didn't really respond and said that, um, I don't really remember, but, but it, it was just Im- immaturity. It was, it was not, not intentional, at least from the start. It was intentional at the time, but not from the start. You know, the one thing that I, I, I have a different perspective on is wanting to resolve the argument first. To me, it doesn't seem like an act of immaturity. It actually seems to be a very mature thing to do because if people, if you were to just drop it and then it would seep into the decision-making process and they would have more of a negative effect in the long term to me that actually seemed like the right thing to do but i'm an outside observer yeah it was more the fact that i i I was like refusing to to work on a business and we needed to work on it and i was just ignoring the work and saying i'm not doing it until we solve solve this which it it was definitely immature from from perspective of actually being there and doing it (laughs) okay fair enough all right so we're uh we're pretty close to our uh, uh to our last few minutes here um not that i physically have to stop at an hour but you know, it is late for you. So we're going to, we're going to switch these up. We're going to do something fun. Um, one of your YouTube videos, you talk about self-liquidating expenses. Uh, now real quick, is this, is, is, did you coin this term or did you pick this up from someone? I, I made it up on the spot while I was talking on the video. You made it up on the spot? <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, no, it, it, it checks out. So it's a great topic. So the premise of it, I, I'm actually going to see if I understood it because I'm curious to see if I was able to process the information, but essentially it's looking for a way to minimize losses or turn a profit on activity that would otherwise end up being a loss. So for instance, you mentioned if you wanted to take a trip somewhere, 
you would find a way to generate some revenue while you're there, do some one-on-one consulting work or something along those lines. Um, so how am I doing? Do I, do, I, do I have the premise down? Yeah, that's pretty much what I was talking about, yeah. Okay. Um, so you also said in, in the video too, like it's, it, it's an interesting experiment to think about, well, what am I about to do? And then how can I um, get revenue out of this? And one of them is doing consulting calls for a, uh, a discount while you're playing video games. So at least that way you can play video games while you're, you're talking to somebody rather than just play video games outright. And I never actually did that one, by the way, but I yeah, just yeah, think yeah. it's a cool idea. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, for me, I, if uh, if not for that example, I would have thought, well, if I'm going to play video games, maybe I'll get into streaming or something. So at least that way I can have like an audience and maybe there's some revenue there. But that's that would be like a whole other point. investment. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. Yeah. And it does also affect people's opinion of the games that they play. Not that I've ever ruled it out because I'm a massive nerd. But anyways, <laughs> the reason why I brought this up is so I, I wrote down five expenses and maybe you th- considered how to SLE them. Maybe we'll think of something on the spot, but we're just going to go for it and see what ha- what comes up. Okay. And by the way, I explain why I do this, by the way, is one, because sure, I'm yeah, cheap do and it, I don't it. like spending money. It's like, I, I, I will spend money. I'll fly business class. Why not? Because way better in economy. But I mean, I prefer not to if I don't have to. And two, because again, it's, it's just kind of fun to me. It's, it's a bit weird, but it's just a bit fun. If I'm going to do something, why not see if I can get it for free? Essentially, is the idea. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I think it's fun too. I think it's a great idea. Um, so here, here's the five that I've got. Let's see what we can uh, have or may have to come up with. So the first one is groceries. I've never thought of a way to, like, because groceries <laughs> is, is an issue that it was one of the things I'm thinking of is like, what can I do for groceries? I, I, I don't know. Um, I've, I've seen people have like affiliate programs, referral programs before, and I think maybe you could do something like refer people to like an app or something to buy groceries. And I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, the app I use, I know they give me discounts based on referrals, but I never really tried it because I'm, I'm too lazy. It's not worth the effort to me. But I don't know. Do you have any ideas? Um, I have ideas, but it's a question of like getting into streaming in order to minimize losses on time spent playing video games is also, okay, well, how much work, how much work am I putting into this? That, if there's a threshold yeah, to cross. So if I, if I were to blog about the groceries I buy uh, and then use that as an affiliate program, so in that way I would link to other uh, food bloggers. That's actually, yeah, that's all I got. Yeah. I, I just wrote that and same, like, you, I don't know if you did like recipes and stuff like that, you could do the same idea what you're saying, but I, again, what I'm saying is also about as you as you were just saying yourself about time and effort as well, and it just wouldn't be worth the time for it. <laughs> I mean, you could always try and like barter with a a grocery store, literally, and see if you can do digital marketing for them and stuff like that. In exchange for a certain amount of free groceries every month, like bartering is a good idea, but. I don't know how well it's going to work with a grocery store, depending on what your services, I guess. Yeah. I, I, so I think one thing to keep in mind too, is that I think this has more to do with the relationship with the transaction in some ways, rather than for my own relationship as a, in parallel, like in, no, that, that, that doesn't make sense. Cause then if you were to go travel with something, you're not necessarily working with the plane company, you're working with somebody there, uh, so like I said, fun thought experiment. So, okay, I'm just going to move on to the second one, okay. which is uh, take, taking an Uber or taxi, if you prefer, I guess. I mean, this one's really easy if you have a business because if you're on your phone while you're doing it or you bring your laptop, I mean, the good thing about taking an Uber or something is you can work. So, I mean, if you're working in between that, depending on how much money you make, that should quite easily pay for itself anyway. And I think, again, they have or used to have referral programs. I don't know if they do because I don't do that. But 
just the time of being able to, to like, why not use the time when you're in, in the back of the car to, to actually do some work? That's quite easy. You don't, you don't have to be that strategic about it. It, it depends how much money you make an hour. But mm-hmm. Yeah, that was actually a conversation that I had with a, uh, another seller named uh, Andy Mai. He, he made this point about how if people spend like an hour cooking lunch, they're actually losing money because if they make more money in an hour working than the money they would save cooking food, then they're better off on a meal plan. So then that way they don't have to spend two, three hours a day making their meal. The time also. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, phone bills. Phone bills. Move to Vietnam and pay $5 a month. <laughs> All right, next <laughs> Literally one. is what I do. I, I, my, my phone bill for like, I get two gig of data a day is $5 a month. That's, wait, sorry, uh, Bubba, did you, did you say two gig a day? Yeah, two gig a day for five dollars. Okay, that's a pretty month. good. <laughs> uh, that's like sixty gigabytes a month. My yeah, sixty is... a month. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. my so... math is rarely that accurate. <laughs> so, like, I, I never even looked at this one because, like, it's just so cheap here. Granted, it doesn't include the phone. I bought my phone, but the data is cheap. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and phones pay for themselves, right? You get you can do so many things on a phone nowadays to the point where you can do uh, I like Samsung decks and just plug it to a monitor. If you're not like upgrading like every year and just like, I need the new feature, which is like a slightly different screen or something like that. Like it doesn't make sense. But. Oh yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a fan of a uh, delayed satisfaction. Not that I can do it all of the times where it would be worth doing, but I had a BlackBerry passport for about six years. And then two years ago, I upgraded to a Samsung phone first smartphone. And my goodness, just the, the feeling of like going from that blackberry passport great phone i still have it that versus the samsung so i'm hoping like another six or eight years of just like holding out as long as i can uh makes the upgrades feel a lot better let me give an example by the way it's a little bit different sure so sorry to cut you off <laughs> i, I, I mean, had i was i was rambling so i'll i'll let it go i had a, a weird experience recently where i met some girl from tinder and she stole my nintendo switch <laughs> now you know i did see this video because uh, i'm a nintendo guy myself and uh i feel sorry for you like really like it's not even just the switch it's all my save games stuff like that and all my games were in that case so <laughs> fun experience but there's, there's, there's a reason for this okay so what happened was some girl stole my nintendo switch and i wanted to buy a nintendo switch but like i, I don't even remember how much it cost but like, maybe $500 or something with all the games included, maybe I'm off yeah, the top yeah. of my head. You to get games in there. Yeah. Controllers. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, how can I get this for free? And, and there was no real, like, I'm not going to be able to approach a game store and get them to do it for me. And I'm not going to like get a bunch of affiliate stuff. Cause that's just launching a new site. It's too much work. So what can I do for this? Well, this has it's absolutely nothing related to it whatsoever, but I just decided Hey, let me do a sale on my products and I'll just do a some girl stole my Nintendo Switch sale and do a discount on my products and offer something that will bring in a, a boost in revenue for a day that will pay for the for the for the switch. So that's kind of the example of just doing it in a completely different way. And it was just something fun that I could do. It's a good story to share and it was a, a good way of like, doing a promotion. You know, I it didn't even occur to me that you had lost your your save data. Uh was uh so like did you have breath of the wild by any chance completed it yeah <laughs> oh man oh, i'm so sorry dude <laughs> all right um i got two more and then we'll uh get you to uh to our wrap-up question and, and by the way there's many many other things that i had uh, written down here but like i said it's always better to uh, run out of time than questions so buying a new computer or laptop i never really make 
any conscious effort with this because again, I, I just see that as a business expense already. So, so if sure. I'm buying a laptop, yeah. yeah, those, those, those are the kind of things that pay for themselves. Yeah, exactly. Quite easily. If I go, I'm pretty tempted to go buy one of the new M1 Max because apparently they're really, really quick and I'm an Apple fanboy, And so why not go buy that? And I, I think that just kind of pays for itself having a faster laptop and refreshing that every couple of years or whatever saying that I'm on this laptop now for about three, four years, and it's actually really, really decent still. I can do everything on it, but I, I'm considering at this point to renew it. But yeah, for that sort of thing, I never really thought about it because again, it, it just pays for itself already. Yeah. Uh, credit where it's due. My, my girlfriend, she's had an iMac for the last 10 years and it still runs quite well. And she, there was one point where she had to remote her PlayStation 4 to use the iMac as a screen because she didn't have a TV at the time. So it's managed to even be able to handle something like that, which I mean, I know it's it's only streaming it. The PlayStation is still doing the processing, but the fact that it could still connect, I just thought that was really impressive. All right, uh, one more. And then uh, we get John Addy. Um, subscribing to a streaming service like Netflix or Hulu or HBO Max or anything along those lines. I don't know. <laughs> for, for me, personally, <laughs> um, what would I do? I'm trying to think of examples of what I do for that stuff. But I mean, in my, in my personal situation, here's what I would want to do if I'm going to pay for it. And it's not going to be directly. It's going to be... One thing I used to do really often was I used to write emails every single day and I would grab some random story from, from a TV show, from, from pop culture, whatever, and write about that and then make that relevant to SEO I want to talk about. Now, I haven't done that in a while because I'm busy. I'm working on other stuff, but that's one thing I used to do often. So for example, if you're a fan of say, um, a TV show, then I uh, say suits. And then you can mention, okay, how, how to sell, how to close like Harvey or whatever his name is again. Um, so you could do like, do like a piece of content, a video, anything like that, and kind of leverage the time you're spending on Netflix or, or whatever, and then use that to create content that may not necessarily be like a review of the, the show, but is how to sales lessons from this show or whatever, even if it's nothing to do with sales. I mean, you can make anything to do with sales. Like it's very, very easy. So just kind of use it as a source of information, as a hook to talk about what you do. Doesn't directly pay for it, but at least you're not completely wasting your money and your time. Yeah. And this is, I'll say one thing to it too, but this is somewhat along the lines of streaming where I know some YouTubers, they do let's watches or they'll do this person reacts to it. So basically what they're doing is they've turned on their camera and they're watching the TV show and they're capturing their own organic reactions. And then maybe they'll do 10 or 15 minutes of like how they feel about it afterwards. So they're not, I don't think they're live streaming, although I'm sure that they could if they wanted to. And I'm sure there's cases where they are, but it is possible to just like watch a TV show and then turn your own viewing experience into content. So that is, that is one route. Yeah. The only reason, again, I was saying for me personally, I wouldn't do that because it's just extra work. And I don't think anyone wants to watch me react into a TV show. I do reaction videos on YouTube recently. I've been playing around with it, but it's like marketing videos and stuff like that. I didn't add in my own opinion. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I only brought that up because I was just trying to bear in mind, like, okay, hang on, is this 
how much extra effort is this? And there is a little bit of extra effort, but it's not to the same scale as like running your own streaming community. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. And also for Netflix or something, just, just get someone to give you their login. I mean, really, why not? <laughs> That's fair. Uh, I am using my brother's Netflix, but that's because I paid for Netflix for five years. We're a good family like that. Yeah, my parents have a multi-user account, so I'm still using I mean, I make more money than my parents, but they pay for a family account, so why wouldn't I use it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, Daryl. Well, this has been fantastic. It's been fun. It's been interesting, insightful, a little heartbreaking at times, but I, I think we've, uh, we, we've, we've gone to uh, quite a few places. So uh, thank you so much for your time. The last thing we got to do to wrap up is if you have any parting wisdom you'd like to share. If there was an answer to a question I didn't really ask, um, I'll give you the floor once more to share it and then let the audience know how to reach out to you. I have absolutely no idea. You know, that, that should be a good piece of advice. Uh, half the time, I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. And I just get on and, and figure it out anyway. Like I mentioned before, I started that, that e-com agency and grew it to six figures of clients in a month and a half. I didn't know that I was going to specialize in e-commerce at the start or Shopify. I just kind of started off and doing like a, a little secret that I probably wouldn't tell most people, but we're an hour in, so most people won't get this far anyway, is that I never used Shopify at that time. So this is three months ago. I'd never personally logged into Shopify before when I started a, a e-commerce SEO agency or what ended up being a Shopify SEO agency. I never even used Shopify before. So I had no idea what the common Shopify issues were. But if you listen to me on this episode, you'd think, wow, this guy's an expert at it. Where I, I learned the specific issues for Shopify within the last three months. Granted, I've been doing SEO for, for seven years, eight years. But the point is that oftentimes I have no idea what I'm doing and I just get on with doing it. And that is a really easy way to be more successful is, is not to think more about it and not to feel bad or, or, or anything that you don't know what you're doing because it's perfectly normal. And the way to overcome that is not to read about it or learn about it in many cases, just to go try it out and see what happens and then adjust your strategy based on that. It's oftentimes easier to try to do something and, and pivot than it is to learn everything up front and try and get it right the first time. Uh, you know what, I, I'd like to uh, back you up to and say for people wondering like wh what people have to know in order to be at the scale that you're at, I, I guess people in their minds, they think that they have, to have, they have to be masters, they have to know everything. And the reality is, well, things are always changing. There's always new things to learn. So to be at the level you're at and to admit that there are there's still a lot to learn is, I think, encouraging in of itself. It says, look, people who start off, they don't know things. People get into eight figures, nine figures, 12 figures, whatever. They still don't know everything. We're all humans, right? We're all just trying to learn and try to keep going. Exactly. Yeah. And it's the same for everyone. I, I go to masterminds with guys that are making a lot of money and a lot more than me. And they're still asking for help and they're still sharing their problems and asking what should they do about something. It's not like everyone at the top is, is magically doing perfectly well and nothing's going wrong. They're still learning. And in many cases, they don't, the, the gap between someone making like, like nothing and so I'm making like $100,000 a year is, is very, very small. In many cases, I'll, I'll speak to someone that's making no money whatsoever and they know more than a guy making $100,000 a year. They just haven't actually implemented it. So it's just theoretical at least. But anyway, that'll be my, my final thoughts. If you want to connect with me, well, the best place these days, obviously my site is at linesa.com and we have SEO services on there. You can contact me there. So my agency is at logix.com. And then if you want to follow my content, YouTube is the best place now because I'm doing about five videos a week, trying to anyway. All right. And uh, to the listeners, um, one thing I 
would like to hear from you guys, if you can contact podcast at debutify.com is if you made it this far, um, because I, I want to know, I want to, I want to get a sense of, of this. So you guys, your, your, your call to action is now in place. So do with that as you will. Uh, Daryl, uh, thank you once more for your time. Uh, this has been a blast and yeah, well, uh, let's, let's get you on out of here. All right, man. Thanks for having me again. It's been really fun. Same here. All right, everybody. We'll check in soon. Thanks for listening. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you. So whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at Debutify.com. Or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to Debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next.